This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 104. I have a repeat guest this week, um, Alan Hoskins. And Alan was on Moving Iron Podcast number 42 way back when, when Alan came on. Uh, got an introduction to who he is, so if you want to figure out and, and remember who Alan is, go back and listen to number 42. But Alan has a unique um, background. He's a loan officer and the president and CEO of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services. And uh, when he was on last, is on right about the first of the year, and Alan and I talked a little bit about what he saw happening at the beginning of the year and kind of how we, how going into loan renewals and what that looked like. And so I think Alan has a, a unique uh, background that, that gives him the, uh, the latitude to, uh, to be an expert in this, this field. He, uh, he farms a little bit, and uh, he is a, uh, obviously a banker. But he also has a true glutton for punishment, and he likes to jockey a little iron from time to time. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. I'm glad to be back on with you. I appreciate that, man. So, let's just uh, let's just jump right into this. 2018, in my opinion, was probably is. I mean, it is. We're we're selling equipment and and we're doing a lot of good stuff. I feel like it's probably one of the tougher years that we've had to be. You know, you had to be fairly creative and and come with a lot of a lot of good ideas and programs and those kind of things to get guys into, into the piece of equipment they're looking for. So what's your, uh, what's your opinion of that? And, and kind of, how do you see, how would you replay 2018 to this point? Sure. Casey, I would call 2018 thus far, at least kind of a treading water year. We are seeing some good yields again, kind of becoming a little bit redundant, particularly in the area that, that I'm located in, in contrast to what we saw in 2017 and also in 2016. And the yields we're pleased with as a whole. Obviously, marketing a grain is going to have a big determination, and the jury is still out on that, obviously. We were presented with some good opportunities earlier in the year. Uh, I've not talked to anyone yet that said they sold enough earlier in the year, but it certainly looks as though the yields are going to be very beneficial to us for the year. We'll have to ultimately see how everything shakes out, though, once this crop's liquidated. So I've, I've been hearing some some talk of back in the I states and in Ohio and where I, that they're, the basis price is really something they're really concerned with. And there's there's just not a lot of movement, it seems like, of, of grain sales right now in, in that part of the world. Any comment on that and, and what you're seeing? That's very true, particularly on beans, also on corn. We, we've seen a wider basis, at least, than I can remember in certainly recent memory. And it is going to kind of be interesting with the yields that we had. People may not have had quite as much storage room as they thought they were going to have given the size of the crop. 
so yeah, the, the basis is obviously a big issue. The customers you deal with and that, that you work with, and how do you feel like the overall health of, of your customers are? Like my sense is the customers that are, that were, that are still strong right now have, uh, they've, they've been strong through the whole down cycle, but they've, they've leveraged a lot of equity. You know, they've, they've leveraged any, any place they could have land. Leasing has become a bigger thing. Um, you saw a lot of paid for equipment getting traded in on leased equipment. And, and so they could get those payments down and what have you. I mean, what's your overall feel for your customers that, that you deal with? And do you feel like there is a uh, strong, um, sense of urgency when you start talking about maybe what they're doing on the farm to, to pinch every penny. Absolutely. I, I think, again, 2018 may end up being, for many producers, a trading water year. I think the producers that came into it with working capital challenges, given what you alluded to earlier, Casey, on the basis I think those producers particularly are going to really see some struggles. The working capital issue, Casey, may be a good reason that you're seeing what you just talked about relative to owned equipment being utilized as equity for a lease. That obviously is going to be a very concerning strategy, I think, over the long term to see producers do that. I recognize that there's some equipment out there that needs to be upgraded, but I think it's important to maintain that long-term perspective. Have that discussion with the banker fairly early on, but I would say right now, obviously, again, the producers that went into 2018 really needing to have that excellent year, unless they've done a very good job of both the production side and the marketing side, taking advantage of that $4 plus corn and $10 plus bean opportunity that we saw earlier this year. Those are the producers that are going to obviously struggle the most. I think the, what I would call the middle of the pack producer, assuming they've had a good year production wise and assuming that They've done much at all relative to marketing. Those individuals are probably, I would expect, going to be in a similar position that they were going into the crop year. I will say, Casey, and let me say this. I'm optimistic about agriculture. One of the reasons I'm optimistic about agriculture is the fact that, and you you asked this earlier, one of the things that I really see, Casey, is that producers are looking at their numbers much more and much closer. And I don't think a farm, just as the case with any other business, they can't save their way to prosperity. There's got to be a production component to it. And the ones that I think are the most effectively dealing with the challenges are the ones that are looking not just to make cuts, but are being, Casey, very strategic about where they're making those cuts. They're still basically utilizing the fertilizer, the chemicals, to make sure that the crop is there. They're not skimping on the production side. Now, granted, there has to be a return on investment for those dollars spent, but I think the ones that I believe are 
weathering it the best are really looking at that income statement and understanding where they can cut on the expense side without affecting the top side of that income statement. I would I definitely agree with you that there's there's enough going on right now in agriculture that you should be excited about what's happening. Um, Absolutely. The technology side, the efficiencies, the I mean, the amount of grain that they're producing on the same number of acres now is is you know over the past ten years, it's just amazing what they've done, right? Um, so yeah, it, it's it is an exciting time. What's your take um, with interest rates now? Um, that's a that's kind of popped up in the conversation here of late. Um, obviously, it's nothing like it was in 1983. You know what I mean? But it's uh. Thank God, Thank right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. But one thing that I that I just think about a lot is that a lot of a lot of producers have because it was, money was cheap for so long, they really built their operation on three, two, three, four percent interest rates. Right now we're creeping into the six plus percent range, and it, and there's really no end in sight. It doesn't seem like the Fed is going to stop raising rates anytime soon. So um, how how is that affecting how you look at things, and and how are you advising your clients when it comes to the potential of what interest rates could look like in you know this time in twenty nineteen and even into twenty twenty? Well, first of all, and and I think this is at least to me a key component. If you look particularly at long term rates right now, if you look at the opportunities that are still out there on say a 20, a 25 or a 30 year fixed rate farm mortgage. Historically speaking, we are still at a very, very low level. There's still 20, 30 year money out there for definitely under that six and a half percent range. And in some cases, depending upon where the market is on that particular day, it may even still be available at a little bit under six. So we hear the narrative that goes on and we hear about interest rates going up, but I think those producers that need that interest rate hedge, it's still a fantastic time for them to be able to lock in some of that money for that extended period of time. In fact, it's kind of interesting to me in certain cases recently, Casey, I've seen it where the difference between a 10-year fixed rate and a 30-year fixed rate has been as little as 60 to 70 basis points. And, you know, you think about that to be able to triple the length of time that you can have that you can have that interest rate locked in and have it be less than 75 basis points. That's certainly something I think a producer can look at because the fantastic thing about that, you lock that money in for 30 years on a 30-year AM versus 10 years, even on a 15 or 20-year AM, you lessen that required payment. And also, it still gives you the upside from the standpoint of with most of the loans that are out there, they have little to no prepayment penalty. So if we see this commodity market turn around a little quicker than we anticipate, certainly that debt can be reduced on a more aggressive level if the producer's in a position to do that. Alternatively, if they know that there's some opportunity coming up, either that they're going to need to replace some equipment or 
maybe a piece of land is coming up that fits into their long-term strategy, they can use that lower required minimum payment to be able to cover a couple of those items as well. So I wanted to get that out there, first of all, because I think people here, interest rates have gone up, and absolutely, without a doubt that they have. And we've seen, basically, if you look back, December of last year, we were looking at prime of 4.5%. Now we're looking at 5%, depending upon who you listen to. The Fed, it appears, could be looking at three to four more rate hikes over the coming 12 months. Certainly, I can't tell you if that's right or wrong. I, I can't predict those interest rates movements and stop trying many, many years ago. But people hear how rates have gone up. It really has been more the narrow or shorter-term rates than the longer-term rates. So if they're in a position where they want to get a hedge on interest rates, it's still a good time to do that. All right, so we've got to deal with, with Mexico. We've got to deal with Canada. Um, Canada still has to ratify it, obviously, and, and their producers are probably turning backflips right now because there's going to be an opportunity to open back up Canada back to our dairy our dairy products to get back up in that part of the country. So, or that part of the world. And particularly, anyway. in Casey, particularly in the states of New York and Michigan. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's that's been the one toughest area of equipment to, to really start to, we start looking at choppers and, and, and all the heads and stuff that go along with it. It's been a brutal year, brutal two years for that. And so that's that you've seen some rebound in the marketplace. This last crop report came out, seemed to be pretty favorable. Um, Saw some good uptick in the market, you know. Um, feels like there's some there's some momentum that's going to be gained. Um, you got a hurricane down southeast part of the country now that's uh, really wrecked the cotton crop down there, and, and you know any any corn and soybeans that's in that area. So they're obviously going to see some rebound there. Um, but you still got the China thing laying it out there, and and it's kind of, it's really kind of starting to. Uh, I don't want to say it's festering by any means because it's not really any worse now than it was when it first got announced, right? So we've kind of leveled off, you know. But absolutely, what's your feel for that? How are your customers reacting to that? And and from a banker's perspective, how are you, you know, advising them to, you know, make their way through this this little blip in the in the world that we have right now? Sure, Casey. First and foremost, one of the things whenever this topic comes up. One of the first things that I'll ask a producer, particularly when I know they were farming in the 80s, I said, do you remember the grain embargo from 1980? And of course, immediately, absolutely. It was horrible. I said, are you still dealing with it today? No. I said, so it didn't last forever? No. I said, well, kind of keep the same thing in mind about the tariff that we're dealing with now. We're dealing with a challenge, absolutely. And we're dealing with the challenge of today. But continue to maintain that long-term perspective and understand that this is not going to last forever. Some of the fears that we had about what was going to happen with NAFTA did not materialize. Certainly the political environment today, I, I won't pretend to say that I can predict what's going to happen. You know, obviously we had the money come in to help offset, at least for this year, some of the challenges that are associated with NAFTA, pardon me, that are associated with the tariff. So 
that's kind of helping ease that pain a little bit this year. We don't know what's coming in the next 12 months, but it does go back to when we sit down and have discussions about budgets for the 2019 year. Let's really focus in on what production costs are and let's look at what happens if we don't see a material change in prices. And let's talk about what the options are that are there, because certainly there's marketing tools out there that can be utilized that when a selling opportunity presents itself, that we can utilize that. But I would say, at least with the producers that I'm having discussions with, let's make sure we keep this in a long-term perspective. And I will say one of the things that I hear as a fairly common denominator, and we hear this in the media a lot today, that we all want trade, not aid. But by the same token, I've heard a lot of producers that have made the comment, you know what, if it gets us that long-term trade opportunity, I'm willing to deal with the short-term adversity in order to have that long-term opportunity. You know, personally speaking, in today's society, you don't hear that willingness among many industries or among many people today to say, you know what, I'm willing to deal with the short-term pain for the long-term gain. But I think that's agriculture in general, and I think that's producers in general, that they do a good job of maintaining that long-term perspective. So I would tell you the conversations are more from the standpoint of that we don't necessarily, they don't necessarily like what's occurring in the short run, but they understand it. They understand that the money that is being put in to help cushion the effect this year, while they prefer, would prefer to get it from the market, you know, they understand that it is there for them this year. And they're looking more at next year and understanding where the opportunities are to, does it make more sense to shift acres to corn? What does that do to their operating budget? So I think they're using it again as a good opportunity to fine tune their management skills. So speaking of management skills, right now we're we're selling a lot of equipment right now. And um, I'm going to use a lot of equipment as a relative term, but um the equipment that we have been selling, it really has nothing to do with the fact that there's a bunch of money out in the marketplace. It has everything to do with, you know, they've they've ran the proverbial wheels off of what they've had and they need to fix. There's a there's a big repair bill involved with that or there's a, um, you know, what which, which is better? A big repair bill or just getting a different machine? And there's that, you know, loss of diminishing returns and, and those kind of things that start playing into that. How are you? How are you coaching your uh, your clients on machine equipment purchases, and how are you uh, kind of looking at that that uh, bit of adversity that's in front of them right now? I would say first of all, if we have somebody that is faced with that circumstance, say they're looking at a fairly healthy repair bill or the opportunity to move up in technology, move up in age there's going to be several factors that play into that. Number one, how has their farm size changed since they acquired that piece of equipment we're talking about? 
you know, are they trying to operate a farm with a 9760 that really needs an S680? So that's going to be one of the first things that we talk about is how how is your overall efficiency with the machine that you have? Does it make sense that you really do need to upgrade? Number two, if you do upgrade, is there an opportunity for any custom work, anything of that? If you do upgrade to help either just generate additional revenue or to help fund a payment. There are, I know of at least one operation, Casey, that they were looking at, did they need to lease a second combine or did it make sense to buy one? And when we ran the numbers, it made more sense for them to buy it than it did lease it. So we also look at what's their overall cash flow? Because if if that machine is going to continue to be that twenty twenty five thousand dollar repair bill, or we can roll it in to where it's a twenty five thousand twenty twenty five thousand dollar payment, certainly in in most cases, we would probably look more at the opportunity to put a more reliable piece of machinery on the farm. So we'll also look at whether is the farmer more inclined when there are issues to, are they able to handle some of the smaller things themselves or is it going to be the dealership that's going to be handling everything because that's going to affect cash flow. So certainly it's on a case by case basis, but I would say those are going to be the types of things that we talk about. And Casey, even where we have someone, let's say we have a farmer who say the repair maintenance is reasonable. But I would still want to have the conversation with them about equipment replacement because we know they're going to have to upgrade at some point. And what I'm counseling folks to do, and candidly, what I want to see a little more of is there be a line item in that budget for capital replacement. So even though this year they may not be trading a tractor or a combine or a planter or a grain cart, I like to see some money allocated for that because we know it's coming. It's not if we know it's when so it makes that decision on the farmer's part a whole lot easier if it's 12 months down the road and they've been able to set aside money for a couple of years to help fund that trade difference it certainly minimizes the amount of borrowing necessary so i think to me that's one thing that i can see operations do that many aren't doing at this point that could be very beneficial to them how do you advise your clients to uh, um, establish a trade cycle? So when you're looking at that, I mean, I mean, for a long time, when crops were really good and money was cheap, it was really easy to trade every year, right? Um, now that we're past that, when you're talking, I mean, how, how do you say, like, okay, I'm going to run my combine for three years and then I'm going to trade it, or I'm going to run my tractor for five and trade it, or I'm going to run my combine for five years and trade my tractors every three or whatever, whatever the mix is. How are you advising your your clients to establish that? Well, first and foremost, look at the big picture. And when I say look at the big picture, what other capital-related expenditures do you anticipate in the next three to five years? Are you going to be upgrading your grain system? Are you going to be potentially needing to purchase or wanting to purchase an adjoining farm or a farm that's near you? So that has to enter into part of the discussion. 
But assuming there are no changes in the farm, obviously we look at what, when repairs are needed, how much of that are they doing themselves versus how much are they having the dealership do to kind of understand what the overall cost effect is to them. And I will say also, Casey, it's going to, one of the things we'll talk about, obviously, if, if you've got a farmer that say they've said in five years, I'm finished, you know, that's going to be a completely different discussion than that guy who's 40. And we know that he's going to be increasing his farm. So I would say what we're doing is sitting down with them and also having a frank discussion about how good your maintenance program. Are you doing a good job in maintaining the equipment you have? Obviously, that can let them get an extra year, two, maybe three out of that particular piece of equipment. But I think also the technology, Casey, plays into it, particularly in my mind today with combines and planters. Because let's face it, that in my mind, at least, Casey, is where the money is made or in many cases lost because that planter that's in really good shape, that's able to get that singulation well, be able to get the seed depth consistency, that planter is a, it's an understatement to say it's an extremely important part of the operation. Same thing on the combine side with the technology that's available today with the S-series that even if you look back at the 9750s, 9760s, it wasn't available. So I think we have to look at that because a farm that's very good at technology adaptation, and it's not just the adaptation standpoint, but how they utilize it to generate revenue that otherwise they wouldn't. We're going to have a different type discussion with that borrower. I'd even go back one step further that the planner is the absolutely the most important tool on the mm-hmm. on the farm, but one of the one of the practices I feel is overlooked. Mm-hmm. more than it probably should be yes and guys just kind of go out and do it because they've always done it that way it's the tillage practices that they that they do absolutely and, and how those i mean there's a lot of guys that just bury it and go mm-hmm. and a lot of times they don't have to bury it and go everywhere mm-hmm. you know there's some places where it may have gotten flooded out and you mm-hmm. don't need to actually disturb the soil there as much as you do mm-hmm. where there's heavy stubble at someplace you know mm-hmm. what i mean so uh, to your point technology is such a, a, a massive a part of, of of farming now that it, if you're not really adapting to the technology, mm-hmm. you're probably uh, spending money in places you don't need to be spending money, and it's costing you efficiency. I agree with you completely, and, and Casey, that, again, going back to what I said earlier, to me, there's a great example of why you can't save your way to prosperity, because, you know, if, if you're still out there running a 7,200 planter, there's a lot of things that, granted, you haven't spent any money on it, but you're giving up yield in many cases because you haven't made some investments in technology. So there has to be a plan of how that technology is going to turn into profitability, but it's really, really imperative that guys look at that today more than ever. With the customers that you work with, do you take a look at soil maps? and yield maps and and those kind of technologies to kind of decide if you know if i went and got this new xyz whatever and it was going to increase my yields by whatever that 
the justification is there to move forward with that? I mean, do you take that kind of stuff into consideration when you're looking at and working with your customers? Casey, that's the exact type thing. And thank you for bringing that up. That's the exact type thing as a banker that when that customer comes in and says, look, I do need to trade combines or I do need to trade planners. And here's why. Let me show you what we have seen happening on this farm. And let me show you how that technology could have changed this. And let me help you understand how this would have affected my profitability. Casey, that, that is, I would say that would be the model customer that we're looking to work with because those are the people that are making good, sound business decisions, typically. You you just generally don't see people that are getting into the technology and understanding how that affects their profitability. You just typically don't see them coming in and saying, you know, it's been three years since I traded combines. I just want to trade combines. So, yes, that's the exact thing, Casey, that I really appreciate whenever people do come in with that data because it allows me to feel comfortable that here's a producer that's working on their management skills and here's how they're sharpening that. And chances are the other thing that's going on there, they're probably using those same, same, pardon me, maps to go have discussions with their landlords relative to cash rents. And if they're doing that, that makes that discussion much less a an objective or pardon me a subjective discussion because there's a quantity of data that's being utilized to help that landlord understand where that producer's coming from as part of having that discussion what percentage of your customers do you feel like are doing what we just talked about less than 15% are bringing the data to have the discussion and what do you think do you think a lot of the, I mean, we've had yield mapping for mm-hmm. dang, 20 years now, mm-hmm. you know, for a while. Yeah. Where do you think that the drawback is on that? What do you think? I mean, everyone, everyone does it. Sure. Everyone maps everything out. Sure. Everybody does makes these pretty, pretty maps with all these different colors on it. What's the, what's the drawback there? You think that that is uh, really stopping them from just analyzing that data and just really saying like, this is, this is my business plan for the year. I suspect, Casey, there are more of them doing it than we realize. I'll say this. I think as agriculture has continued to become specialized, and I'm going to kind of, I guess, Casey, pick on the banking industry a little bit here and say, I don't know what percentage of bankers are familiar with that on a day-to-day basis because candidly if if i didn't farm some on the side <clears throat> i would not have had the opportunity to see some of the things that i've seen so i'm, I'm not being critical from the standpoint of necessarily them not being familiar with it but also, Casey, I think it's important that that banker make sure that that customer knows that the door is open to teaching them. And that's one of the things that, Casey, I'll, I'll be the first person to admit, not only do I not know everything, there's days I'm not sure I know anything. But I'll say it this way, I've never, 
I've never been offended yet by any <clears throat> borrower or prospect that I work with that wants to have a substantive discussion like that. It's never offended me in the least because I'll look at them and say, look, can you help me understand a little more about this? And they become the teacher in that respect. And let's face it, they're the CEO of their company. They know things about their company that we as partners with them in financing that we don't know. And I love it when a customer comes in and says, hey, let me share some information with you about our operation that you may not be aware of. Because number one, it tells me the relationship's good. They're not going to come in and do that with me unless they know that there's an open door to doing that and unless they know that I'm willing to listen. So I view it as I'm humbled, Casey, by someone being willing to do that because it means they trust me enough to have that conversation with me. And I hope I always make sure that they understand that my door is open. But I think that's one thing. And the other thing is I hope that in today's world, that the people that they're going to and having that conversation with are open to understanding more and understanding those numbers and understanding how those yields ma yield maps track to profitability. So to me, obviously not nearly enough for doing it, but you know, Casey, I've got to ask myself, why is it I'm not with every customer that I interact with or why am I not making sure that the people that we have that are lenders out there that report to me, why am I not saying, hey, why don't you ask the customers about their yield maps and look at that a little more because there's a great opportunity for us to get an even better handle on how their operation is doing. And then when they want to trade that combine or that planner, we have a different perspective in which to look at that. So I think that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, no problem. My, uh, I think, uh, obviously every farmer is using yield maps and, mm -hmm. and so on and those kind of things to make mm -hmm. agronomic, agronomic decisions on their, on their farm. Mm -hmm. I think the point to my con comment earlier was, I don't know how many of them are, are using it to make a financial decision Agreed. Like you with you, with a banker, you know what I mean, that are coming in and saying like, hey, man, I got all this data, mm -hmm. and this is why if I do this over here, it's going to pay for itself. And, yes. You know, whatever the increase is, I'll, it'll pay for itself in one or two seasons or whatever yes. the number is. Yes. Same, the same thing with like when Auto Track first came out. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of scoffed at it and, no, that's just a rich man's toy, and it's going to, you know, whatever. doesn't. But then mm -hmm. sooner or later, the agronomics that they started seeing start paying for itself, and mm -hmm. now – They'll blow a tractor up before they shut it down, but they'll <laughs> shut it down immediately when they're grabbing their AB line gets lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so it makes a big difference that technology and, and understanding what you're getting out of it makes a big decision, not only in the agronomic side of it, but on the, the financial side of it as well. Absolutely. And Casey, I remember very well, as you kind of talked about there, when, when auto steer became <sighs> became started to become a little prevalent i too looked at it and i thought you know how is this really generating a profit well, casey i gotta admit there's a lot of times anymore i'm planning at night as much as i'm planning in the day there's no way oh, yeah. you know i could pull in a field at 2 a.m and my rows are just as straight as i feel if i pulled in at 2 p.m 
And that finally sunk in with me a few years ago about, look, it's about productivity with a machine. And if you can get that machine basically being more efficient, and if you can get that seed in the ground at a more optimal time, there's your productivity translation and there's your profitability. The one thing I love talking about on here is is the, the future of, of equipment and how mm-hmm. uh, autonomous vehicles are going to start easing their way into uh, the landscape here. Mm-hmm. What kind of, is that on your radar, and have you been paying attention to that movement and, and how that works? Sure. It's something that I've been looking at. You know, obviously, it's, it is under development, has been for who knows how many years that we're not even aware of. You know, if, if you look at some of the things and this isn't necessarily autonomous, obviously, but it, it leans that way. If you look at with the technology right now where the, the combine and the tractor can match speeds so that the combines work should be on the grain cart. You know, there's a great use in my mind of the autonomous vehicle. The, the thing that I look at down the road is, you know, in a fully functioning autonomous vehicle, you know, I know what it's like taking a combine down the road today. And I have to admit, just based upon some of the near misses that I've either been involved with or seen, it's just a little hard for me to comprehend how truly autonomous vehicles, particularly when you look at agriculture and being able to get those up and down highways, that type of thing. I'll admit, I find it incredibly intriguing, but I also have to admit, one of the greatest joys that I have sitting in a combine or a tractor. And I got to admit, Casey, I hope that hope that doesn't go completely away. No, I think you'll probably have a while that you can always drive it yourself, but I, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be here before we know it. Absolutely. Um, full, full bore anyway. Sure. Into the, into the mix. And obviously with the labor issue, I mean, you look at the economy as a whole labor is an issue, but particularly if you look at agriculture, my goodness, where, where do you go today? If your operation's expanding and you need to add a combine driver, you need to add someone to put in the plant or tractor. Where do you go today to find someone that's going to do that job, really do it well, pay attention to what's going on? I'm not saying there aren't people out there because there are, but they're just becoming fewer and fewer because of the advances in technology and the fact that we've just had fewer people involved in farming over the past 50 years. Yeah. No, that's that's what's driving the whole mm-hmm. technology end of the business. Absolutely, the size of equipment and everything else. You know, it's it's labor. Mm-hmm. That's what's driving all that. All right, one last thing, and then we'll shut it down here. So, 2018 is uh, about 65 days away from being done. 70 days away from being done. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel 2019 is going to start out, and how do you feel 2018 is going to end? Assuming we don't see an aberration in the marketplace that we're not anticipating, I think, and it's going to obviously be regionally diverse, but I would say as a whole, if I look at least in the area that I'm in and the areas that that I'm the most familiar with, I think 2018 is going to be one of those years where profitability certainly isn't going to be over the top, but I would expect that we would 
potentially across the board see a little bit of erosion in working capital, just simply due to pricing issues. So I think it'll it'll kind of be that so-so year. 2019, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with the tariff. We have NAFTA that we're still waiting to make sure that everything does come to pass on that. So I think 2019 is going to be a challenging year. I think that, and I'm not a marketing guru by any stretch of the imagination, but I think most will tell you that at least once in every crop year, if you go back over the last 40 or 50 years, there's been at least one selling opportunity at a profitable level. We're going to have a much better idea where crop inputs are going to be. We're going to have... We're going to have that idea probably here in the next four weeks. Obviously, for people trading equipment, I think understanding what's going to happen overall, the tariff obviously is affecting that. If you look at steel, understanding how that's going to affect. Given the unknowns, probably where my prediction would be right now for 2019 is it's going to be a challenging year that's going to present hopefully, one or two good selling opportunities. But it's going to require someone to have a good marketing plan, have some good discipline when those opportunities present present themselves to be able to, to make those sales and to continue to fine-tune that income statement, both top side and bottom side. So I think it'll be, think it'll be a challenging year. And I would echo those sentiments, man. It seems like um, I'm fairly bullish about the end of 2018 i feel like we're going to sell some iron we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to um have a good end of the year no mm-hmm. no no doubt in my mind mm-hmm. um but i am a little bit leery how 19 is going to start out and how it's going to finish well alan i think i've got everything covered on my list of stuff to talk to you about today so okay. do you have anything else you want to talk about before we shut it down uh casey the the, the only thing that i would say um i would uh, I would tell you that I'd give a plug for the Moving Iron Summit for for any dealers out there that are not attending. Based upon what I saw, Casey, they should be. I appreciate that, Alan. Thank you. It's a good time to get everybody together like that and have a have a conversation about what's going on around us. So, absolutely. Uh, thank you for being a speaker at that, and that was a uh, you gave a great talk about pretty much what we just talked about today. So that was that was good stuff. Well, any way that I can ever help KC, I'll be more than happy to. Well, I thank you for that, Alan. I and I, uh, I really enjoy having you on here, and your wealth of knowledge. And I uh, look forward to the next time we talk. Absolutely, that sounds great. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast was brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America. Get a grip. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Alan for being a guest on this episode again. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit the Moving Iron LLC website. Here you can find information for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. 
This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.